Good morning. I'm Pastor Martin Danner. Um, my name is Martin. You can call me Martin. Whatever. I just want to bring uh, the words of Christ to you this morning before we get into the sermon from Matthew uh, verse 11. Here, uh, hear what Jesus offers to all of us. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Amen. This uh, season of Lent actually began on Wednesday. It was Ash Wednesday. And, and we began sort of talking about and leaning into this journey that we're going to take together over 40 days leading up to the resurrection of Jesus. And as we journey together, as we talk through some things, we're going to be exploring um, the nature of sin and sort of its effect on us and its effect on the world. And we're going to do it through this series called Seven. And so on Wednesdays and on Sundays, we'll be kind of going through some different themes around this as we uh, understand the, the problem and the solution uh, to this problem called sin. And as I was sort of reflecting on the nature of sin and, and its effect on us and how we experience it, um, I began to think about uh, what came to mind was a TV show that was based off a video game that I've seen a lot of social media about, and it's called um, The Last of Us. And um, I just, here's, here's my little prelude to this. I'm going to kind of give you the premise of this show, but I have not seen a single episode. I've just seen little clips and commentary on it. So if you um, go to HBO now and, or HBO Max and you start watching The Last of Us and something happens and you're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe Pastor Danner recommended this. Just understand, I'm not recommending this. I'm just giving you an example of, of sin a little bit. Um, but the, the premise of The Last of Us, uh, it's based off of this video game, is that because of some changes in the environment, uh, this particular fungus or spore mold is able to infect humans, and they turn them into these, like, living dead, sort of walking fungus creatures. And it's very uh, post-apocalyptic. It's sort of the end of everything as this disease spreads throughout all of humanity. And... This is actually based on something that's real in this world, uh, scientifically true in this world, and it's based off of this particular fungus that infects an insect. And when the fungus takes hold in the body of the insect, it affects the brain stem and the brain. It actually changes the way the insect functions. It hijacks the insect and commands its body to do things that it wouldn't normally do so that it can spread the fungus. And so what it does is it, it when it affects ants, for example, it, it'll lead the ant to crawl up to the top of a twig, twig or a tree, and then uh, the spores will sprout through the top of the ant's head and kill it, and then release the spores above the colony to spread them and keep them going. And so this is a little bit of a trigger warning. I'm going to show you a picture of an insect that has this happen to it. Um, the spores just like come out, and then it spreads and infects the other insects around it. I mean, this is the whole goal of this particular fungus, is to, to hijack the insect and then 
release its spores to infect other insects. And, and the reason why this struck me is because, in my mind, this is actually kind of how sin works. Sin is parasitic, and it needs a host. I mean, sin needs us to interact with it, needs to hijack us in a way. We need to participate in it for it to continue to spread, to have its ripple effect throughout all of creation. Sin on its own, apart from us, has no power, really. It doesn't do anything. And so this is why Scripture really talks about how Satan's like this lion that's prowling around looking for its next host, a, a way to devour us, to, to push us into something different or, or entice us into a different way of being. And it spreads as we go. Uh, St. Augustine, uh, one of the church fathers, commented on sin. He says, sin tends to make that which is cease to be. That is, sin hijacks your brain, hijacks your spirit, and leads you to behave in ways counter to that which you were meant to be. So you no longer function as the human God created you to be, the image bearer of God. You begin to function in a way differently than that. And that behavior spreads. It's contagious. And this is how sin works. It's certainly very individual, for sure. Like we make choices, we make decisions, we go against God, we go against one another. But let's just say in theory, um, you could be good in every possible way and be obedient to God in every possible way. Even then, the problem is we're walking in the air that's full of spores. And that is, it's also corporate. Sin is not just about maybe always the things we actually do. It's about something much bigger. This is what makes it hard to address. Because let's say you can be good. Let's say you do a good job. But you're still part of a system that is affected by sin. It's insidious. It spreads throughout creation. And so... Let's say you do good, but you're still part of a country maybe run by a government that makes poor choices, and your taxes fund that sin. Or you invest in the stock market, and maybe the money that you invest goes to a company that has slave labor in another country and is abusing children. You, you sort of indirectly support and, and are a part of that because of how broken the world is. And I just say that to say, like, it's, it's not something that's, solved by your will. You can't just will to defeat sin. I mean, this is why in the church, you know, we've had different ways of engaging with sin. We've had uh, corporate confession and absolution. One of the things we do in the church is we together confess our sins as one body, and we sort of have a general confession of sin, and we kind of acknowledge that together we are in need of Christ. And but also in the church, a tradition that's been lost over time is this, this real strong sense that individually, yes, we do spread the spores in a way. And, and there's a sense that we need to privately at times go to God and just be real about the things that are infecting our souls. That yeast that spreads throughout the dough. So just like the ant with the spores, just like 
all these different analogies in Scripture, we, we know that sin isn't contained. It's contagious. It's passed on. And, and it's so crazy how this works. Even Scripture talks about how the sin of our fathers are, is passed down to the subsequent generations. And there's a term for this in science. Also, it's kind of talked about. It's called epigenetics. That is, you know, like what your great-great-grandfather experienced and did can literally change your DNA and affect how you function and experience things now. So if there's severe trauma in your past, it can affect you emotionally in the present. And it's just crazy, the power that it can have. And Jesus knew this, and he, he invites us into something else, and, and so did God. With God's people, the Israelites, he was in this covenant relationship with them, and he knew that there needed to be a bigger solution, a better solution than what was going on. And so he did. He promised that the nations, like all the nations, all mankind would be blessed through them and their faithfulness because he was wanting to get to his son, Jesus. He was needing Jesus. We need Jesus to set us free. And so as he's reaffirming these covenant relationships over and over again, he sort of uses some of this language. Like in Deuteronomy chapter 30, he says, I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live. That is, if you have two paths, like we do as we explore the season of Lent, we have the, the, the path that is death and curse and sin, and there's the path of life and resurrection and, and freedom. And it's for you and your offspring. It's epigenetic. And so this is what lays before us. But it's not just as simple as choosing life, right? We need a cure for the problem that's bigger than just the choice that we need to make. And this is how doctors work. When there's a, a condition, a problem that needs to be cured, they, they need to identify what it is. They need to label it. They need to understand the treatment for it. And they need to move forward in a way to address it very directly. And so one of the ways or the language that we have for this is it's actually the seven deadly sins. It's not that you can find in a list, like a concise, clean list in Scripture, like here are the seven things you need to avoid in life to choose life, <laughs> But what they're trying to do in a way is diagnose the problem. They're trying to add some context to the problem of sin so that we can better armor ourselves against it, to, to be aware of it, to resist it, to move from it. And so we're going to explore some of these things uh, that, that are a part of our life, part of, unfortunately, the air that we breathe that we have to be aware of so we can diagnose the problem. And so over the next several weeks, we're going to look at them. Uh, one of the ones we're going to look at is, is pride. And I'm not going to get into all the way pride plays out. I don't want to ruin maybe mine or Pastor Anthony's future sermon. But pride is basically love of self and, and some form of disdain for others. It's raising yourself up in a way that's unhealthy, unhelpful. One of the ones that I struggle with, I think I've said it in sermons or devotions, I know I've told a few people, is uh, envy. It's, it's this sort of rejection or, or not seeing the gifts that God has given you, but instead seeing the gifts that God has given other people and wanting theirs. 
and, and, and being envious of them because they are, you see them as somehow better than you in some way. Or sloth, which is kind of this indifference or apathy. It's sort of stonewalling. It's a distance or a separation from other people and from God. One that's like really part of our culture, really sort of woven into a lot of things is greed, which is the desire to possess more, more than you need, or a feeling that you never have enough. Another really common one our culture struggles with is lust, which is sort of losing control of your body and mind to these sort of illicit cravings and inappropriate responses. And then there's anger or wrath, which is sort of just justed, twisted. It's twisted into revenge or bitterness or violence. And then another common one is gluttony. It's the excessive consumption of really anything. Maybe too many donuts, you know? It might be video games, TV, Too much of anything, even if it's good, can become bad, right? And so all these things are, are, are the problem. We're, we're labeling sin to understand it. And all these things lead to death and a dysfunctional life. It doesn't provide anything. It makes... Life emotionally hard, mentally exhausting, and leaves you separate from one another and from God. So what's the solution to this? How do you cure the problem of sin? Well, it's Jesus. I mean, the work of Jesus actually highlights this because it's what he's been about and always was about, the living word of God come to set the people free from what? From sin and from death. And so as he's walking along the countryside, he's all about defeating death and all about giving life. He's literally raising people up from the dead. He's pulling people out of their oppression He's healing those who are sick because of the brokenness in the world. He's literally casting out demons from people possessed. He's calling us all in the midst of this to choose life. All who are wearied and burdened, take my yoke upon you. Because it's easier than all these other shenanigans. So choosing the path of life may seem difficult because we're surrounded by the spore of sin. But it's ultimately life-giving and simpler. But it's not something that you can will on your own. Like you can see the path and know you should take it and take steps to take it, but to see the path, to even move in that direction, you need a change. If sin hijacks your mind and makes you behave counter to what you were created to do, then you need the anecdote, Jesus, to hijack your mind and restore you to what you were meant to be. You need a change of heart. 
And Deuteronomy chapter 30 also uses this language. He says, and the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring. That is, change your heart and your children's hearts. God is going to do it. So that you will love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, that you may live. Jesus changes our hearts and provides the cure. He is the solution, and the solution was on the cross for us. And the invitation to die and rise with him in that. So it's not about willing yourself to have a good heart. It's not about being a good person. It's about the transformation that Christ alone brings so that you can be faithful. It's about resurrection from the death. It's about being pulled out of the sin. So we experience all these things in a very broken world, and and the solution, the cure to all these things is going to come from Christ and Christ alone from what he accomplished for us on the cross, for how he changes our heart, soul, and mind so that we can love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, and mind. And in that transformation of our hearts and soul and well-being, we can see the two paths laid before us. And in faith, knowing who Jesus is and what he has done, we can choose life and move away from sin and be faithful. Jesus is the cure. So may whatever it is you're experiencing in this life, every trial, every hardship, every every brokenness that you experience in all of creation, sickness, death, and illness, may we lay them at the feet of the cross And know that in Christ, we are restored, brought to life, and made free. So we move together, choosing life. In Jesus' name, amen.